electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome, everybody, to Power Lunch. I'm Tyler Matheson. Here's what we got for you this afternoon. The labor market continues to sizzle, uh, but good news on the jobs front. Sometimes not such good news for investors. Uh, so should you stay defensive? Our market guest says, yes, you should. And a healthcare power player, the CEO of Bristol-Myers Squibb, talks about his company's acquisition of a cancer-focused biotech. Uh, the stock is up 20% year-to-date. Will today's deal keep the momentum going? We'll ask him in just a few minutes. Kelly? Tyler, thank you. Hi, everybody. The major averages are all down for a third time in four days, and they're lower for the week now. Remember, last week was the first time in nine that the Dow was actually positive. Uh, Now we're back in the red as the Dow's down 315 points, a little off session lows when we were down 396. The S&P is down 66, so that's a 1.6% drop. The Nasdaq is the worst performer, down 2.5%. And we do have yields moving higher. The 10-year moving Back towards that 3% level following the jobs report this morning, we're just a hair under 296 right now. It's been steadily creeping higher over the past week. And as it rises, tech shares are retreating again. Micron dropping 7%. It had a downgrade today. NVIDIA might be down kind of a halo effect from the same worries over consumer end markets. Apple down 4%. Also having a cautious research note from Morgan Stanley that pointed to a slowdown in App Store growth there. So, Tyler, the big question remains, are we seeing macro trends? Uh, rates or simply a change from strong pandemic buying of electronics into something different post-pandemic? Well, we'll pick up that very thought with our next guest, who is avoiding technology shares as the sector undergoes that valuation reset. The sector's forward P.E. late last year was more than 28. Now it is a quarter lower at 21. Instead, he is sticking to defensive names in areas like telecom and dividend payers in Staples, Pharma, Utilities. Let's bring in Stephen Off, Equity CIO at Federated Hermes. Stephen, welcome. Good to see you. Thank you, Tyler. Explain first, why don't we start with your hypothesis on what uh, the economy is likely to do, where inflation is likely to be, where unemployment may be, and how that feeds into your more defensive stance. Yeah, I mean, fair question, Tyler. The, the, the issue we have right now is that's probably one of the more difficult questions to answer, uh, as all your guests have been saying. Uh, the, the outlook is really cloudy going forward. Our base case is for a rocky landing, uh, which I define as, you know, maybe inflation getting down to three to three to four percent range. I'm more in Kelly's camp there that it's just a hard beast to completely tame. That means you're probably looking at a 10 year rate in the three to three and a half percent range on a long term basis. And and, um, you know, probably the economy, we just cut our economic growth numbers for this year to one and a half and to two and a half. Uh, two and a half this year, one and a half next year, real. So t- a kind of difficult economic backdrop. You add that all up, I think you want to stay pretty defensive here. You've got probably double canning of earnings from the COVID lockdown still coming off on the tech side. So I think they're facing probably a couple of weak quarters on earnings against a backdrop of rising discount rates and valuations and still probably too high multiples. So 
Uh, I think, you know, it's, you know, everyone wants to get back in there. Um, I get it. These, some of these are really great companies for the long haul, but the near-term outlook, I think, doesn't look so good. At what point, do you, you say people want to get back in there, at what point on the S&P do you think that much or most of the recessionary fear or the uh, pricing reset fear will have been washed out or played out? Is it well, 3,800, 3,700, where? Yeah, we're at 3,750, Tyler. The way we get there, uh, you know, I think one of the frameworks here that we think is very different than what people have experienced of late, and so they're they're really not thinking about it this way. But even if you get, um, you know, say an economic recession or rocky landing like we're calling for, you might get not much worse than an earnings slowdown, whereas mm-hmm. normally – uh, you know, people talk about economic slowdowns and earnings recessions, and that's because company stocks work off of nominal sales and nominal earnings. And with inflation still pretty high, nominal sales, even in a rocky landing, could stay reasonably, you know, mid to high single digits. Mm-hmm. Margin compression might bring you down to flat earnings. So the market, we think, is getting close to a bottom. We, our idea is like maybe 220 on earnings on the S&P uh, this year. That would and probably a 17 multiple, assuming a three and a half percent, you know, inflation rate. So we think that's kind of fair value in the near term on the S&P. We're we're getting closer, maybe another leg down here somewhere, you know, below mm-hmm. thirty eight hundred. So let's get to and, some specific. If I look at the cyclicals. Okay, you want to transition, but that's exactly where I would go. I mean, right. If you look at the cyclical names, those are closest to discounting that scenario. The problem with the growth names is they haven't fully discounted the earnings scenario, and they still got pressure on the interest rate scenario. So it's a t- tougher. To call it, where they bottom. So cyclicals, you look at, or I guess you call it industrial, United Rentals would be in that category. You like Verizon, yeah. good dividend payer, boring, uh, the, among the most boring of stocks over the past decade, but not so much now. It's got a lot of backers. Talk us through right. your picks. Okay, so first on the boring side, uh, you know, people got also got this framework right. Sometimes losing less money is good enough or making 5% on a dividend, which you can on Verizon, might be a pretty attractive return. So we like boring here. We'd be fully loaded in, in telecom names, things like Verizon, where, you know, they're coming out of the CapEx cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so they've got probably pretty good cash flow ahead in our view and even a little bit of pricing power. They're putting through a price increase, as you know, right now. So uh, you know, we think that company, 5% dividend yield, 10 times multiple looks pretty good. Uh, you know, a lot of the other stables, like Exxon, a little bit more difficult because it's had a good run. We've been there all year. I remember Kelly and I talking about that stock a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've been in it in a while. But, uh, you know, the 3.3% yield, it's still got a good story. And what keeps getting in my head is I've got oil at 120 probably for the next year or so. And on that level, um, Exxon's going to be throwing off an extra $15 billion of cash flow that it's not going to know what to do with. And we're pretty sure we know what they're going to do. They're going to yeah. buy back stock. So uh, the stock buybacks will help that stock. I think that's the next leg up. I expect Exxon to break to new uh, long-term highs. It still hasn't done that. It's just about now getting to uh, where it peaked out back in 15, 16. Mm-hmm. 
And, uh, you know, on the cyclical side, Tyler, there, I think you want to just start legging in. I, I think it's really hard to call a bottom. We've had, you know, uh, URI, you mentioned, is a name we like. It's down 23%. Well, if it's size Fifth Third Bank, you know, good, um, you know, Midwest slash Southeast Bank that's got, we think, pretty healthy um, balance sheet and good cash right. flows associated with it. Those kinds of stocks okay. are down 20% already. I think, you know, you leg into them here, wait for maybe a, a better bottom, but we're getting close. Steve, it's been a while. Good to see you again, sir. Stephen off. Thank you, Tyler. We appreciate it. Now to a big deal in the biopharma world today. Bristol-Myers Squibb buying Turning Point Therapeutics for $4.1 billion. You can see Turning Point shares more than doubling today. Bristol, slightly lower, but up more than 20% so far this year. Pretty great performance compared with a 14% drop for the S&P 500. Joining us now is the CEO of Bristol-Myers, alongside our very own Meg Terrell. Welcome to you both. Meg, kick things off. Kelly, thanks so much. Dr. Giovanni Cafario, thanks for being with us, really kicking off our ASCO Cancer Research Conference coverage uh, for us here on this Friday. Let's start with your major acquisition news today. What will Turning Point bring to Bristol? Well, we're very excited uh, about the acquisition of Turning Point, Meg. Thanks for having me. Uh, We know the people, the science of uh, Turning Point. We have great respect. We see tremendous potential in uh, and value in repotrectinib. It's a novel asset that is uh, being developed for the treatment of patients with a form of lung cancer, which is an area that we know well. And uh, we're looking forward to launch as early of, as next year. You know, when we looked at the data, uh, it has the potential to be a best-in-class agent, particularly given the duration of response and duration of therapy. It can expand the class, and it fits particularly well with our strategy in oncology. It adds a precision oncology pillar to our strategy where we've been focused on cell therapy and immune oncology. So very aligned with our strategy and it strengthens our prospects for growth. Well, let's talk about you know, the rest of your oncology franchise as well. And the big upcoming weekend uh, with the world's largest cancer research conference happening in Chicago, what else can we expect from Bristol in terms of data and updates out of the meeting? Well, great progress with our oncology pipeline and portfolio. For Obdivo, we are presenting data in an early stage of lung cancer called the neoadjuvant space. That's an opportunity to really change the way early stage lung cancer is treated. Very, very exciting data. As you know, we have a growing franchise in cellular therapy, and we're presenting data on Brianzi, our cell therapy for lymphoma in earlier stages of the disease. And that's really important because it can make cellular therapy available to more patients. You know, that's an area where we've been developing a really important leadership position. And then later this month at a hematology congress, we're also presenting really exciting data on our cell mode program, uh, particularly in myeloma and lymphoma. So when you put it all together with the acquisition of turning point and repotrectinib, uh, we're making great progress actually to strengthen and diversify our, our leadership in oncology. And of course, that's a big part of our story in terms of the growth of Bristol MySquip going forward. Well, I want to ask you also about this the cell therapy landscape right now, these personalized cancer treatments where you're actually taking a patient's cells uh, out of their bodies, sort of beefing them up to better fight cancer and giving them back. I mean, these have been really amazing advancements in cancer treatment and many uh, cancer types. But we understand there's been some 
manufacturing hiccups across the space where supply just can't keep up with demand here. What's Bristol seeing along that front? And do you see this getting alleviated anytime soon? Well, let me say, first of all, that uh, we're, we're rapidly becoming the leader in this space. And uh, we received approval earlier this year for uh, two cell therapy uh, treatments, a BECMA for multiple myeloma and Brianzi in lymphoma. You know, there is a tremendous uh, value in these treatments because of the transformational efficacy. So there is a lot of demand. Physicians are eager to prescribe cell therapy treatments, and we're working very diligently to increase our capacity. So we do expect actually to see significantly increased capacity in the second half of the year. What's really important is that we are just at the beginning of seeing the potential of a new modality like cellular therapy. And this is the first generation of treatments, but looking forward into our pipeline, we see an opportunity to continue to transform the way cell therapies are are administered. And so, for example, earlier this week, we announced an agreement with a company called Inmatics, where we're going to be working together to potentially in the future develop what's called off-the-shelf cell therapies. So it's just the beginning, and I'm really excited that the potential to transform the treatment of cancer is extraordinary there. Dr. Caforio, it's Kelly here in studio. We've heard from a lot of major CEOs over the past couple of weeks with some pretty concerned words about the economy and where we're going. You seem to have a lot of promising things going on. Your stock price is up 20% year to date. Can you categorize what you think is happening with the U.S. economy right now? And if you have any major concerns about it or any, any sign that you might be slowing hiring, starting layoffs, that kind of thing? Well, for us, this is a really important year at Bristol MySquib. You know, we're positioning the company for growth. Uh, the objective for us uh, this year is the approval of three first-in-class medicines. We've already received two approvals for Obdulag in cancer and, and uh, Camzaios in cardiovascular. We're looking forward to the Padufa date for Ducravacidinib in psoriasis in September. So for us, it's actually all about growth and accelerating the new product portfolio and the renewal of our, of our business. Uh, of course, we are uh, looking at inflation, it does not have a major impact on our company. Right now, we're very focused on continuing to attract talent into the company. At the same time, I must say, we have an incredible pipeline. We've more than doubled the size of the pipeline at BMS. We have exciting science. We're attack attracting great scientists. So for me, it's all about really growth and positioning the company for the future. And uh, this is a really important and successful year for us. Well, Dr. Caforio, it's Meg Terrell again. Just one last quick question for you. You spoke about growth. You did a big deal today. Biotech is welcoming it. Are you going to buy more? Do you have more firepower that you can deploy in M&A? Oh, we have tremendous financial flexibility, Meg. And uh, we have always thought about business development as a key integral part of our innovation strategy. And we like to do deals like Turning Point, where we have assets where we can look at the data, we understand their value, and they fit into therapeutic areas that we know really well. In this case, of course, lung cancer. So we're always looking for the right opportunity and business development going forward will continue to have a really important role for us to play. We have tremendous financial flexibility and great scientific depth and knowledge in multiple areas. All right, Dr. Giovanni Caforio, thanks so much for being with us. We really appreciate it. 
Thank you. Thanks very much. All right. right, And Tyler. Go ahead, Meg. I guess we uh, throughout the weekend and on Monday morning with a great lineup of guests. You can see Gilead CEO, AstraZeneca CEO, Merck's chief medical officer will all be with us on Monday from Chicago. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Meg Terrell and Dr. Caforio. We appreciate it. Coming up, retail gas prices jumping overnight. Another record. Gas futures hit levels never seen before. We will ask a former industry insider if there's any relief in sight. Plus, stocks that are leading the bear market bounce, but are still deeply oversold. Names like T. Rowe Price, Bath and Body Works, and Best Buy. We'll trade them in today's three-stock lunch when Power Lunch continues. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the Internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high-coverage foundation. More popular than soft-launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi. It's more popular than influencers. See you in there. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Power Lunch. Gasoline prices hitting another record high, jumping five cents overnight. The national average for a gallon of gas is now $4.76, according to AAA. The average one month ago was $4.20, and the average one year ago was way back at $3.04. Remember those days? And it could get worse. Arbob futures for gasoline are up 1% right now and 90% this year, implying even more upside and hitting a new high today. Joining us now is former industry insider Joe Petrowski. He's the former chairman and CEO of Gulf Oil. He's also a senior advisor at Yesway, a chain of convenience stores. Great to have you here today, Joe. Uh, it's just going to keep going higher. What do you, what do you say? What, what's going to happen here? Well, I think we're just getting started. I think we will see national average prices sometime between July and August of five fifty on retail gasoline nationwide and six dollars in diesel. I mean, um, I think the points I'd like to make today are uh, Jamie Dimon was correct. There is a hurricane coming that this eye of that hurricane is energy and uh, there's really very little we can do about it now except Washington's trying to uh, look like they're concerned and doing something but the die is cast we're uh, we're using about 18 million barrels to 19 million barrels a day which is slightly down there is some rationing going on at least in the gasoline market not significant rationing, but over time, as people change their habits, there will be. But, um, and the other point I would make is 
it, it takes a while for the real effect of energy prices to get passed down the chain. So I think inflation is not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And inevitably, we will have a recession. I mean, you can't take $730 billion out of the U.S. economy over this year for energy in a $20 trillion economy, which is almost 4%. And given the history of almost every energy spike was followed by a mild or severe recession, is just inevitable. So and, when you say when you say that, say, Joe, I've let me just let me just interrupt say, for just a second, if I might. You say that th- there's going to be 730 billion coming out of the 20 trillion. You're talking there about the excess money or the increment of money that will be spent this year on energy by American consumers. Correct? Yes, Tyler. Incrementally, 730 billion. 730 billion, and add and that's, to that, and that's add to not that just whatever the Fed prices, takes out. That's that's heating oil. That's all the components made from petroleum, like pharmaceuticals, right. rubber, um, plastics. And to that point, I, I think I, you couldn't be more correct. I think it takes a long time for the effect of rising oil and petroleum and, and, and uh, distillates and so forth to move through because it touches so many parts of the economy. So let me ask you, let's say we buy your thesis here. What are you doing? You run now a large uh, chain of convenience stores, and I assume some of them are associated with gas stations. What are you doing to prepare for the scenario that you see? Are you not hiring anymore? Are you laying people off? What are you doing? Oh, no, our, our business has never been better. I mean, the consumer continues to drive, which is one of the factors behind this. We are hedging and we are trying to, to uh, create long-term contracts mm-hmm. that will give us supply and, and also increasing our supply points because you never know who's going to run out of oil yeah. or which refineries. And what are, are you doing with down. prices? What are you doing with prices? Not in terms of gasoline sales, which, I, which are kind of baked into the cake, but let's talk about the cakes and the drinks and the other things you might sell at a convenience store. Are you, are you passing along higher prices? Somewhat, uh, but we, we try to hold our prices as best we can, but the right. consumer really does understand and is accepting slightly higher prices mm-hmm. without a drop-off in demand. Yeah. All right, Joe, thank you so much for your insight today. We, we were very grateful to you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. All right, further ahead on the show, the jobs juxtaposition. Uh, the jobs report coming in stronger than expected with many companies still hiring, but tech sure isn't. We will discuss. Plus, poking the bear. We'll take a look at the stock leading the bear market bounce that may have more room to run. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, 
positively FedEx. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Time now for our ETF tracker. This week we look at biotech ETFs. Why? Because we can. $25 million of outflows in the latest week. And as a group, biotech is the worst performing group so far in 2022. But a couple of potential catalysts are here. An increase in M&A activity, uh, as we just discussed with the uh, Bristol-Myers CEO. And also a very important conference came up there in that discussion as well on fighting cancer. It begins today. I believe it's out in Chicago, as it almost always is. Now, the iShares Biotech ETF down nearly 3% this week. There you see it, iShares Biotech 2 and a third percent or thereabouts. The ARC Genomic Revolution ETF down nearly 4%, as you see there. How about the Spider uh, SPDR uh, Biotech? It is down one week, about a quarter of a percent. But when you look at the year-to-date numbers, all of these funds losing at least, well, about a quarter of their value or more. There, the iShares Biotech down 23%. 47 percent for Arc Genomic and Spider S&P Biotech down 36 percent. This data uh, comes from our partners at Track Insight. For more information, you can look at the FT Wilshire ETF hub. Let's go to Seema Modi now for a news update. Seema. Interesting data. Tyler, here's your new news update at this hour. Queen Elizabeth will continue to miss Jubilee-related events tomorrow. Buckingham Palace says that Her Majesty won't attend Saturday's Derby horse race. The Queen missed today's service at St. Paul's Cathedral after experiencing discomfort while attending yesterday's festivities. She'll instead watch the Derby on TV from Windsor Castle. At least four people are dead and dozens are injured after a train derailed in the German Alps. The accident happened near a popular hiking destination in the country's Bavaria region. Local reports said that three of the carriages overturned and that many school students were on board the train. Singer-actress Jennifer Lopez will receive the Generation Award at Sunday's MTV Movie and TV Awards. The honor recognizes her many contributions to film and TV throughout her career. She got her first leading role in the 1997 film Selena and most recently starred in the movie Marry Me. Among previous recipients, the Lifetime Award are Reese Witherspoon, Sandra Bullock, Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx. Well deserved. Kelly, back to you. All right, Seema, thank you very much. Ahead on Power Lunch, volatility insurance. Shares, check out shares of Cigna, which has been having a strong run despite weakness in the overall economy. The company holding its annual investor day. We will hear from the CEO next. Time now for our ETF tracker. This week we look at biotech ETFs. Why? Because we can. 
$25 million of outflows in the latest week. And as a group, biotech is the worst performing group so far in 2022. But a couple of potential catalysts are here. An increase in M&A activity, uh, as we just discussed with the uh, Bristol-Myers CEO. And also a very important conference came up there in that discussion as well on fighting cancer. It begins today. I believe it's out in Chicago, as it almost always is. Now, the iShares Biotech ETF down nearly 3% this week. There you see it, iShares Biotech 2 and a third percent or thereabouts. The ARC Genomic Revolution ETF down nearly 4%, as you see there. How about the Spider uh, SPDR uh, Biotech? It is down one week, about a quarter of a percent. But when you look at the year-to-date numbers, all of these funds losing at least, well, about a quarter of their value or more. There, the iShares Biotech down 23%. 47 percent for Arc Genomic and Spider S&P Biotech down 36 percent. This data uh, comes from our partners at Track Insight. For more information, you can look at the FT Wilshire ETF hub. Let's go to Seema Modi now for a news update. Seema. Interesting data. Tyler, here's your new news update at this hour. Queen Elizabeth will continue to miss Jubilee-related events tomorrow. Buckingham Palace says that Her Majesty won't attend Saturday's Derby horse race. The Queen missed today's service at St. Paul's Cathedral after experiencing discomfort while attending yesterday's festivities. She'll instead watch the Derby on TV from Windsor Castle. At least four people are dead and dozens are injured after a train derailed in the German Alps. The accident happened near a popular hiking destination in the country's Bavaria region. Local reports said that three of the carriages overturned and that many school students were on board the train. Singer-actress Jennifer Lopez will receive the Generation Award at Sunday's MTV Movie and TV Awards. The honor recognizes her many contributions to film and TV throughout her career. She got her first leading role in the 1997 film Selena and most recently starred in the movie Marry Me. Among previous recipients, the Lifetime Award are Reese Witherspoon, Sandra Bullock, Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx. Well deserved. Kelly, back to you. All right, Seema, thank you very much. Ahead on Power Lunch, volatility insurance. Shares, check out shares of Cigna, which has been having a strong run despite weakness in the overall economy. The company holding its annual investor day. We will hear from the CEO next. Welcome back. 90 minutes left in the trading day and week. So let's get caught up across the markets on stocks, bonds, commodities. Plus, we'll hear from the CEO of Cigna. But let's start with Bob Bassani as it looks like stocks are about to book another down week, Bob. Yeah, down about one percent, but well off of the lows uh, of uh, a couple of weeks ago. I I think the important thing is, other than the inflation news and the jobs report, is continual concerns out there about growth worries. So Micron was the worst performer early on today. Uh, There were issues out there for them. Tesla, of course, had Elon Musk with a really bad feeling idea. Uh, 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 The downgrade from Micron weighing on things. And, of course, uh, Apple, uh, Morgan Stanley noting uh, about a slowdown in the app store's growth during May. So some growth concerns. Uh, also, we saw some weakness in the airlines today, even though the numbers were excellent. I mean, American Airlines had great comments uh, notifying revenues are going to be higher. Uh, they're raising prices to deal with higher jet fuel costs. Uh, forget about lower airline prices anytime soon. That's certainly not going to happen. But they've been weaker uh, throughout most of the day, along with most of the travel stocks uh, that are out there as well. Uh, in terms of uh, energy stocks, uh, they're still holding up well. Exxon, 
ConocoPhillips, Occidental, all uh, among the leaderboard as oil's been holding up very well in the range. So where are we right now? Well, as Kelly noted, it's down about 1% for the week, but we're about 6% off of the recent low that we hit. That was May 20th. So the big issue, of course, uh, guys, going forward is going to be any news on inflation. We'll get CPI uh, fairly soon. And, of course, we want to see some moderation from that 8% numbers that we've been seeing recently there. Those are going to be the numbers. Anything about inflation is what's going to move the dial. Guys, back to you. Absolutely. Bob, thank you very much, our Bob Bassani. So we have rates on the rise once again. But what do the traders think about it? Let's go to Rick Santelli out in Chicago. Rick? They think it was a pretty decent jobs report, and rates were on the rise here and abroad. Look at an intro of two years. You could clear the seat at 8.30 Eastern. It popped. As it sits at 2.66%, it's up three on the day, up 18 basis points on the week. Intraday tens at 296. Wow, up five on the day. But get this, through a one-week chart, it's up 22 basis points on the week. And if you think that's aggressive, two-year notes in Europe closed up 31 basis points on the week as did 10-year notes. The Boons closed up 31 basis points on the week. Those are huge, huge moves. Remember, ECB next week. Now, if we look at what's going on with the dollar index, here's a chart going back six weeks. We're near six-week lows, okay? But we're up a half a cent on the week. Here's the fly in the ointment. If you look at a 20-year chart, we've come off of basically 20-year highs to be roughly at five to six week lows at a time where multinationals are still feeling the effects of that mid-May spike at 104 and three quarters. Kelly, back to you. Thank you very much, Rick. Let's turn to oil now, which has been the headliner and continues to be that way today, closing around $119 a barrel, up one almost 2% today, 3% for the week. Markets balancing the additional OPEC supply, uh, the additional supply that OPEC Plus, I should say, is promising to deliver against additional demand from China as the country reemerges from COVID lockdowns. That has crude prices higher, as we mentioned a moment ago, gasoline prices higher as well. So if you're looking to play defense in this market, you may want to look to some of the insurance giants like shares of Cigna, which are up 12 percent this year to far outperform the broader market. The company hosting its investor day today and our Bertha Coombs spoke exclusively with the CEO. She joins us now with those highlights. Bertha. Hey, Kelly. Uh, David Cordani is fairly bullish on the market this morning. They raised their guidance in terms of the growth of their services sector, which is where they've made some acquisitions like MD Live. It's going to grow faster, they said, than even they thought earlier this year. As far as the prospect of a recession, we've heard Jamie Dimon say brace for some kind of hurricane. And, of course, Elon Musk saying he doesn't feel very good about the second half of the year. But Cordani says when it comes to employment, your benefits, he thinks that the market will remain strong. If we do embark upon a recession, we're going to be entering a recession um, off of an environment where employers are still looking to get to a level of full employment. And I think that provides a little bit of flexibility where employers may slow down the rate of hiring, maybe stop the rate of hiring and maybe have a little bit of dislocation. But for the employers we serve right now, there's still an aggressive growth to drive their employment levels. Secondly, if there is a recession or dislocation, Oftentimes, the services that we bring forward are even more in demand, helping employers keep their employees healthy, keeping them engaged, keeping them productive becomes even more valuable in an environment of economic dislocation. 
those services are very important right now as a lot of employers are trying to hold on to workers who may want to be part of the great resignation. One of the tailwinds for next year, it says, is blockbuster drugs like Humira's. We'll start seeing some biosimilars there. That's going to bring down costs a bit. One of the headwinds for insurers and employers alike could be the expected overturning of Roe v. Wade by the Supreme Court. We saw that leaked draft come out. A lot of employers have been scrambling to try to figure out what they'll do. I asked Cordani if he thinks a decision like that would be disruptive. I don't know what the final conclusion is going to be, right? So change is disruptive. And on this topic, it has the potential for being significantly disruptive. Our opportunity is to bring it back to one employer and one decision at a time because there will be no national solution for this. All health care is local and deeply personal. And our philosophy is to be able to enable that. And we work with employers literally one at a time. Kelly and Tyler, you know, some of the benefits managers that I've talked to have said that this really is one employer at a time. Every employer is grappling with it, and they are all going to have slightly different ways that they are going to deal with this. All right, Bertha, thank you very much. Bertha Coombs reporting. After the break, on the road to ruin, Elon Musk says he has a bad feeling about the economy. Bad feeling. Uh, He plans to freeze hiring, cut 10% of his workers, the stock, Tesla, sinking on the news, down, what is that, 9% today? All right, is he right to worry? We'll discuss that next. Welcome back to Power Launch. The jobs report for May coming in better than expected. 390,000 jobs created across the country. But that follows some grim economic comments from J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon and Tesla CEO Elon Musk. Dimon warning there's a hurricane out there coming our way. Musk saying he has a, quote, super bad feeling about the economy. So are they right? Mark Morial is the former mayor of New Orleans and the uh, president and CEO of the National Urban League. Mayor, welcome. Good to have you. Good to have you back with us. Uh, What are you seeing and hearing as you go around the country, uh, apart from anxiety about um, inflation uh, with respect to the economy? You know, what I am hearing is there is anxiety about people's ability, notwithstanding a strong job market, people's ability to make ends meet. Uh, to pay their bills, uh, rising housing costs, uh, to afford food, rising food costs. Uh, And notwithstanding some inflation in earnings and wages, it's still not enough to make up for the many, many years that we had stagnant wages while we even had modest inflation. Uh, So uh, there remains anxiety, but let's be clear, 390,000 jobs, this is a strong labor market. Uh, And this strong labor market and this post-COVID recovery has both been consistent uh, and it has certainly been strong and stronger than the last recovery after the Great Recession of uh, 2008 to 2010. Yeah, I guess the good news is the labor market is strong. Incomes have been rising. The bad news is they have not been rising enough to keep up with uh, the rate of inflation. And as you point out, it is on food. It is on fuel. It is on uh, consumer goods. And so uh, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, uh, more of your paycheck is going to what we would describe as essentials. It's still tough, but it's important to recognize that there's some 
global factors driving some of this. The war in Ukraine is impacting the energy market. Uh, the continued lockdowns in China are affecting the supply chain. China is a significant player when it comes to manufactured goods that we purchase here in the United States. Those global factors are beyond, uh, I would say, the impact of American policymakers, but they are impacting uh, the American consumer and American business in a significant way. Nonetheless, uh, we have economic growth, uh, we have job creation, but some factors like the differential between black and white unemployment remain the same. But we are better off than I would have expected post the COVID recession. Yeah, the comeback I, has been faster. It's certainly been stronger. It's certainly a, a difficult equation for the incumbent party uh, as we look to the fall elections. Uh, whenever gas prices have are as high as they are now, they are really at historic highs. They haven't been this high before. But when they move up this fast, it does not spell good news for the incumbent party, does it? It is a challenge, no doubt, for the Democrats. But here is the question voters have to ask. What is the alternative plan? What is the alternative set of public policies that might yield a better result? And I hope that there's going to be a debate about that versus sort of a referendum on the challenges that we face in the nation today. Uh, I wanted to just also comment on Jamie Dimon and Elon Musk. So uh, I separate the two. In Elon Musk's case, his business now faces competition. Tesla dominated the electric car market. Now all of his competitors are introducing electric or hybrid or alternative type of vehicles. He has competition he has not had before, and that's going to impact his sales and his bottom line. Uh, Elon also has a habit and a pattern of overstatement and hyperbole. Jamie Dimon, on the other hand, uh, Ty is a respected economic voice. Uh, I'm not prepared to embrace the profit of doom scenario. Uh, but I do say that the average American should save money, should take advantage of the fact that unemployment is low and perhaps with uh, some of the stimulus funds, uh, there's been more cash, mm -hmm. uh, to not just spend it all to the extent possible to save it, to, pro to provide themselves with a nest egg in the event that there's a shock to the economy or we face uh, some sort of economic downturn. So the message is for the American family, American consumers. Yes, money's tight. Yes, things are tight uh, to take advantage and to prepare uh, for uh, the future. Do you, Mark, it's Kelly here, think the Fed should be doing more, though? I mean, you must hear a lot about just how frustrated and scared people are about energy prices and food prices and shortages. You know, this is this is not something we thought we'd still be dealing with. And a former oil exec a moment ago told us he thinks gas prices are going to be 550 in another month or so per gallon. You know, Kelly, it's always a delicate balance between Fed introduces tightening of the economy because they could overreact uh, and by overreacting, create uh, a more immediate downturn in the American economy. So I think the, the Fed's got to be balanced. And, and they've got to be gradual in certainly what they do there, uh, if you will, uh, tailoring their quantitative easing uh, uh, program. They are raising interest rates almost at every single meeting. Uh, so I think they're doing things, but we want to make sure uh, we don't create a stagflation style economy. We have a combination of high inflation, 
and high uh, unemployment, and then high interest rates that are a damper on business investment. So we've got to, in this instance, learn from the past. And I think the policies have got to meet the moment, if you will. All right, Mayor Morial, great to see you as always. Appreciate it. Thank you. Probably see you next month. All right. Bye-bye. Up next, a sinking arc. Happy Woods ETF deep in the red. We'll explain what's dragging it lower now. It had a good day yesterday, remember? Different story as we close out the week. We're back after this. Welcome back to Power Lunch, everybody. And let's take a look at the ARK Innovation ETF, which is back in the red today. And nearly all the components in the ETF are lower, led by Coinbase down almost 10 percent. Roblox, same story. Shopify down 11 percent. And of course, Tesla down just under 9 percent right now. The ETF did see that nice bounce of more than 7 percent yesterday. But with this, we've now gone negative on the week with a loss, Tyler, of more than 5 percent. All righty. Up next, a tonic for tired stocks. Yes. What better tonic? Three, we we're going to highlight three names that are bouncing back from recent lows in today's three-stock lunch. We got your Best Buy. We got your Bath and Body Works. And we got your T-Row, T-R-O-W, ticker, trial. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Now, Time now for three-stock lunch, and today CNBC Pro has a list of stocks leading the bear market bounce, but with more room to run. They're all still at least 30% off their 200-day moving average, but have a consensus buy rating on the street. The names include T. Rowe Price, Bath & Body Works, and Best Buy. Here to trade them is CNBC contributor Gina Sanchez. She's also chief market strategist at Lido Advisors. Gina, welcome. Good to have you with us. Let's start Thank with you. T. Rowe Price, big money manager, um, uh, you know, quiet player, but a, but a financial nonetheless. Yeah, and this is a stock that's actually gotten beaten up with the rest of the financials. If you look at T. Rowe's performance, it is performed in line um, with other financials and banks, and they look effectively like they're pricing in 2008 the 2008 financial crisis all over again. Um, however, Lido owns this in the dividend growth portfolio. And for the dividend, it is actually a very good value. You know, this is a stock that, that we think uh, has, just from a dividend perspective, uh, a, a much higher price that can be supported. And that would certainly be a help for the performance it's experienced this year so far. Let's switch gears now, Gina, and talk about ba- uh, <laughs> it's going to happen because we're doing this and Best Buy. Bath and Body Works, what would you do with that stock? So Bath and Body Works is one that we think got uh, beat up because they took quite a bit of investment, uh, an investment hit into their um, into their supply chain as well as uh, into their customer loyalty program. However, we think that those investments are going to come back over time. And if you look at Bath and Body Works, they have uh, a, a global, rather they have a, a, an integrated supply chain that is primarily North America based, meaning that they're going to be able to defend as we continue to have supply chain uh, concerns and even inflationary concerns are a lot more contained as their supply chain is integrated on the ground here in North America. All right, let's move on uh, to the next one, which is Best Buy. Uh, You see a lot of Best Buy stores closing. That's been part of their strategy, I suppose, for many years now. 
Yeah, this is one that we actually are a sell on. You know, Best Buy is is one of those uh, kind of consumer stories that doesn't hold up well in an inflationary uh, environment. And a lot of the sort of pandemic-related, uh, uh, you know, uh, home improvement um, decisions and purchases have largely already been made. And if you're concerned about money and you're concerned about expenses, uh, buying a big-ticket electronic item probably isn't on the docket. So we think that Best Buy is just going to have a pretty rough time do you, uh, for the next 12 months. Do you know that company granularly enough to comment on its appliance business, which it went into, as you, as you say, the home improvement uh, trend seems to be ebbing just a little bit, but, but they have a lot of store space footprint in appliances now. They, they do. And I mean, the, the challenge there obviously is not just it's, it's part of it is just inventory challenges. I mean, this is a company that's getting hit in every direction. So, you know, supply chain issues will will hurt them. Inflationary issues will hurt them. It's mm-hmm. they're going to get squeezed on on all fronts. Um, you know, and, and they had a lot of business that came from everybody upgrading their kitchens and doing, you know, making big improvements right. on the house. So that was a tailwind. Now it's a headwind. What do you think, Gina, about the fact that we had an eight week down run for the Dow worst in a century? We put together one up week and now we're in the red again. Uh, that's a, a hugely concerning uh, trend. And I think that part of that has to do with the fact that the Fed, basically, we started to hear um, signaling out of individual Fed members um, that they really don't have any desire to put a pause uh, on uh, on interest rate hikes, even though we're starting to see some, uh, redu- you know, we're, we're starting to turn the corner um, in inflation and we're starting to see some of those numbers at least begin to tick down. They're basically saying that they're not taking their their eye off of the the the, you know, rate hike ball. Yeah. So I think it's a, a really negative sign. A little bit of a bear market bounce last week and now back to uh, back to what had been the usual. The drinks are empty. Gina Sanchez, thanks very much. We appreciate your time today. Time to go fill your glasses, everybody. Thanks for watching Power Lunch. And Closing Bell starts right about now. See you next week. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.